Welcome to the Casual Temple Podcast, and you're listening to episode number 14, and I'm your host, Marilee Duffy. Here at the Casual Temple, we explore our profound connection to the world of spirit, which empowers us to know our true selves. If you enjoy our mystical and magical content, don't forget to show some love. Like, follow, and review on your preferred podcast platform. Today in this enlightening episode, we are joined by Christine Freeland, where we delve into the realm of subtle energy and learn how Christine's healthy skepticism has fortified the efficacy of her work with clients. She candidly shares her fascinating journey from teenage experiments with ESP that laid the groundwork for discerning subtle energies and her work today, delivering profound messages to her clients. Stay tuned for an insightful conversation ahead. Welcome to the Casual Temple. This week, my guest is Christine Freeland, who is a board certified reflexologist, massage therapist, and Reiki master. Today, we're going to talk about subtle energy and how being skeptical has strengthened the work she does with her clients. Thank you, Christine, for joining us here on the Casual Temple. Well, thanks for having me. This is exciting and something that I've never uh, done before. Oh, well, well, happy to have you here. Um, <laughs> it's It'll you know, usually it's a, it's fun. I, I, you know, I'm biased, but I have always enjoyed uh, my guests. Um, so we're just going to kind of dive in, get started. Can you tell me, or can you start by telling us uh, an early paranormal experience that you had? Well, I think when we're children, we're much more open. And so when I was 13, I thought it was great fun to play, um, ESP, you know, extrasensory perception. And uh, I had a, another friend, you know, we were 13 year old girls in the eighties. And so that meant that we just sat on the phone for four and five hours at a time. And so from across town, we used to play the guess what number I'm thinking, or guess what letter I'm thinking of. And we soon discovered that we had really good accuracy. If one of us was, um, you know, tracing the number. So if she was drawing it with her finger, I could close my eyes and see her drawing it with my finger. And so uh, likewise, if I drew with my finger, she could see it on her end. And so we spent hours uh, playing guess the number. You know, we started with one digit and we were really accurate. And then we started with two digits and we were really accurate. And then we got to three digits, really accurate. We got up to, um, we said, well, let, let's switch to letters. Same thing. As long as she was drawing it with her finger, I could close my eyes and see her drawing it like uh, if, like I had a blackboard and she had a white pen. So I didn't see her. I just saw the white pen on the blackboard. And uh, so then we started trading words where she'd write a whole word. And we were really accurate. This, this is over months and months. We'd, we would play this game all the time. And then suddenly I realized that when she wasn't drawing, I could feel in my fingertips what her fingertips were feeling. Um, she had a, this was the 80s, so she had like a velvet couch. And I could feel her hands on the arm of the couch. And then we would say, oh, well, I'm going to touch something else. And guess what I'm touching, you know? And we could sense things like it's wood, it's cold, it's ceramic, um, it's bumpy, it's smooth. Um, and so I think around that time is when we said, this has gone too far and it's getting too creepy. And so both of us just agreed to stop because we were feeling um, each other's fingertips. Wow. 
And also around that time, when I was about 13, um, I was really into the idea of astral travel because I thought, how cool would it be to be able to be invisible and go see things, uh, maybe hear things? I don't know. Um, how cool would that be? So I was really practicing, really trying to do astral travel. And of course, I'm just learning from some book that I found at the library. Really, really trying. And I would get so that my body could kind of levitate. But my core, like where my umbilical cord is, uh, wouldn't come up. So I would I would always end up folding upwards, you know. Um, and uh, this is months of trying. And I finally one day popped out my umbilical released and I was able to levitate a bit. And it was such an uncomfortable feeling to have my astral body outside of my physical body um, that I panicked and shut the whole thing down. Mm -hmm. And it was about that time when I just said, this is all too much for me, too big for me to feel what other people are feeling or to um, move my body, my astral body outside of my physical body. So at that point, I just said, you know what, this is all too much for uh, 13 year old kids so mm -hmm. so I I shut it all down at that time yeah so what would you uh so if you shut it down at that particular time when were you kind of more inclined to look at that energy again which I guess goes into sort of your current practice but yeah yeah so I I had never intended to look at it again it, and to be frank, I kind of forgot about it for, you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, so it all kind of started when I went to reflexology school. And then that led me through to um, energy work as part of a healing modality, uh, where I again thought, you know, I remember that I had a, a talent for ESP, and I wonder if that means I have a talent for energy. Um so that's that's when I started experimenting. Um, as part of reflexology school, we took a class called Energy Awareness. Um, and it, it was taught by this wonderful uh, man from Seattle named Neil McNeil. Uh, he's a ghost hunter and a reflexologist, and he's um, a kind and gifted teacher. Um, and when I got to class, I was really... Um, like excited and I could feel my whole body like wah 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 like pulsing kind of through my whole body and I always interpreted this as like nervous feeling mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it happens to me all my all the time when I get like really nervous or I'm around a lot of people sometimes I'll get this pulsing wah wah kind of feeling so in that class uh, we were talking about energy work and I was really nervous and I was really pulsing and one of our early exercises, we, we all the students got up and we stood in a circle and we put our hands on each other's shoulders to try to see if we could make an energy loop or like pass energy around the circle. Mm -hmm. Right. Like our very first experiment experiment. And I just have to be in the loop next to the teacher. And when I put my hand on his shoulder, he turned and it was he was like, whoa, someone's really pulsing today. Oh, that was the first time I realized that, like, that that's not just nervous energy, mm -hmm. that it, it really was energy. 
and that someone else could feel it was like a huge wake up for me because I had always thought that like, that's just what nervous feels like, you know? It's funny. You never, you don't know how it feels to be in someone else's body, you know? So you don't know other people's uh, like what nervous feels like to someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like right away, that really got me that, that this pulsing that I was feeling was my energy and that it was perceptible by others. So uh, that alone kind of got me really interested in pursuing uh, energy work further. Mm -hmm. And then that class was just an amazing class. It was just a one day was like six or eight hours. And all we did was experiment in different ways of sensing energy. Um, So he took us through each of the, um, you know, uh, seeing energy, smelling energy, um, the feelings in our palms, maybe the feelings in the rest of our body, um, scent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it was so fun because we would have like one student would be the, on the table and then all the other students would, you know, smell their aura from head to foot and see what, um, what we noticed. And it was such a fun experiment. Because at one point I smelled gasoline, like over the client's hip. I smelled Mm. gasoline. I was like, well, that's weird. Um, And it turns out that most of the students over who were observing that client smelled something stinky or unpleasant Mm. at the hip. Mm. That's really interesting that we all got a scent at the same location on this person's body. Right. And normally I would just discount that, oh, I smell gasoline, whatever. And it never occurred to me that, like, maybe there's information in that. Right. That that the random things I smell throughout the day might be more than just random smellings. Yeah. Yeah, so that class really got me curious. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting about uh, one of uh, my other guests, Tiffany Reeds, who's also a Reiki practitioner. She talked uh, quite a bit about how her opinion is that anxiety is most likely uh, empathic or intuitive uh, feelings that you're picking up around Mm. you, which I Mm. thought was really fascinating. And then ever since that, I think back and I was like, you know, it kind of makes sense because it's kind of why, at least for me and and my perspective as well, is that, you know, when you do feel anxious, it doesn't really feel like it's you, you know, that's, I think Mm. what is going on is you don't feel like yourself. So you're just kind of absorbing other information (laughs) and you don't know what to do with it. (laughs) That's a really, that's a really good insight. Cause Mm -hmm. I certainly now, when I feel that really strong pulsing of energy, um, I associate it with nervousness. Um, and it helps me be aware that I am nervous or I'm overwhelmed Mm. or whatever that, so it kind of works both ways, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, and so, yeah, we talked a lot about sort of being introverted and I, you know, I've known you a long time. I feel like we're probably pretty, fairly introverted (laughs) people, Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not fun to be around, that kind of thing. It's just that, you know, for us to get that energy back, it's like, you kind of have to like release everybody's energy that you're absorbing constantly is how I've become very aware of it. And doing the grounding techniques really help to like release and pull out that energy that isn't yours that you don't need. Um, yeah. It's good for information. That's what how I look at it. I think those things 
are just pieces of information. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and as you know, now I'm tracing back as you talked about like astral projecting. Uh, you talked about like folding up <laughs> like a mm-hmm. bee, which is really funny. Uh, I started read. I was ex- also experimenting with astral projection in my teenage years and also got freaked out. And I was like, never again. <laughs> so I share that with you. But uh, I started uh, experimenting again in my early 20s and also having weird experiences. But my like not wanting to get out of the body was I was turning. I woke up in the middle of the night, but I was turning around and around inside of my body. And I always say that it was like a gas station hot dog. I was like, around and around and around and I was like okay I really don't want to leave or or similarly to you I would have like one leg would go up one arm would go up but like 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 the core did not want to leave (laughs) same it was it was very much my core and I I would say like come on we're so close we're so we're almost there yeah yeah actual projection um that is also something I I've had some other intuitive friends tell me that, oh yeah, you're going to be astral projecting. And I'm like, are you sure though? Cause it's still <laughs> kind of freaky and kind of hard to do, at least for me. Um, but yeah, so it's been yeah, sort I, of an interesting. I haven't tried since <laughs> I'm still not ready to try again. Yeah. I feel like if it's, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if you're not ready, maybe you're just not ready in this lifetime and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know you talked about, the experience of taking the Reiki classes was there uh, and starting that process, was there a specific life event or experience that wanted you to seek that out as like an alternative? Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful story and it's kind of a long story. So I I hope you'll bear with me. Um, So I was working in a corporate job, a nine to five. I'd been there for, long time, almost 15 years, 10 or 15 years by that point. Um, And I was a data analyst, you know, uh, very uh, cerebral, lots of reading and spreadsheets and all day, every day reporting Mm -hmm. and analysis. And um, just, it just made me so unhappy. And I would spend all my day, and all of my thought energy at work, I'd come home and I would just crash and burn. I had no um, thought power left for, you know, arts or reading or um, socializing with friends. I just really um, spent all my brain power at work. And also, I was in a corporate environment, which as an introvert is a little um, challenging sometimes mm-hmm. to be around <laughs> that many people all day, every day. Um, and I, I was really getting computer back. I was punching mm. forward with my neck hyperextended and like my body really started to hurt. And, um, so I started to see a massage therapist to help me help my body feel better. Right. And, uh, she was amazing. She totally helped me get my back in shape so that I could keep going to the office. So I could keep spending all my brain power there, you know? And I had seen her for maybe two or three years at that point. And then uh, we had a standing appointment, you know, every two weeks into infinity on the calendar. And she called me and she said, hey, I have to cancel my 
appointment with you because um, my dad's in a hospice and it looks like he's going to pass. Mm. And so I said, of course, you know, go, go take care of your family. And, and she says, well, you know, I have to fly back to where he is. We don't know when he's going to pass. I want to stick around for the funeral. Um, I want to help my mom like get readjusted. And I said, of course, of course. And she says, I don't know how long it's going to be till we can reschedule. And so I said, well, don't worry about me. You know, I'm going to be your client. I'll be here when you're, when you're back, you know? Well, two weeks later, she calls me and she's like, hi, I'm ready for you this Thursday. And I, you know, I was thinking if, if I was with my dad, when he passed, Mm -hmm. if, if I had to, you know, deal with his funeral and all the stuff that comes after passing, would I be ready to go back to work in two weeks? You know, and that's my office job. That's at my desk. And and I thought like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my coworkers to talk to me about my father's passing. You know, I wouldn't want to have people in my space that quickly. And then her job is a touchy feely job. I mean, her job is like really getting up in people's personal space. And um, so I was asking her like, Hey, you don't have to rush. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, we can wait. And she said to me, no, no, you don't understand. My job heals me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. My job heals me because it stopped me dead in my tracks because my job was not healing me. Mm. My job was taking everything I had. My job was hurting my body. I looked around at my coworkers, you know, and one person has, a, you know, chronic migraines and another person has a terrible stomach and, you know, another person has high blood pressure and all of us are suffering both from stress as well as physical ailments. And I just looked around and I thought like, this work is not healing any of us. Mm-hmm. And God, that really sat with me for a long, long time. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, so I I really started my journey just because I wanted a piece of that puzzle. The, you know, I thought, could I be part of work that's healing? Mm-hmm. Could work be healing for me? Um, yeah, so I thought I wanted to be a massage therapist at first, but um, because I had the corporate job Monday through Friday, I had to find a class that was on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And the class I found was a reflexology school, so... Uh, quite by accident, uh, I ended up going into reflexology instead of massage. But uh, I still think about that to this day, that how many of us are in jobs that don't heal us or don't serve us, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a great paycheck, that's yeah. for sure. Um, but I don't I don't know that money's worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's It really sits on my heart. My yeah. work heals me. Yeah. yeah. So I have a rather, I don't know if it's a strange question, but, uh, you know, as you know, I was also in the corporate world for a while um, and also in transition to startup businesses, which its own kind of animal and destructive in its own ways, in my opinion. Uh, How would you, if you had a perfect world, well, not perfect, because in this world, people still have to work these jobs. Like, how would you, if you were to structure it, the world where people still had to work these jobs, how, 
would you make it healing for them? I don't know if that makes any sense. Like how would you incorporate healing? Totally. So as I, you know, I finished reflexology school and I opened my business and then I was working the corporate job 40 hours a week, plus my business on the weekends. And so I was working like 70 hours some weeks and it really got to a point where what I loved doing was the reflexology, but what paid the bills was the corporate job. So I really was in a pickle that I couldn't let go of one or the other. Right. And through a lot, a lot, a lot of begging and uh, working up the chain of command, I finally got approval to work part-time at my Mm. corporate job. Mm -hmm. So I started working 20 hours a week at the corporate job and then, you know, 10 to 15 um, at my reflexology job. And that still left me a whole weekend. That still left me time to run my errands and do all the things that humans need to do in the week. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, my joy at the office was so much greater working just 20 hours a week. Oh yeah. My, my boss says that what I was able to accomplish in those 20 weeks was about 75% of my full-time job. So even though I wasn't working a full 40 hours, Mm -hmm. I was more um, productive per hour by working half as much and having the time off to rest, to have enough brain power to enjoy the rest of my life. Right. Um, so for me, I'm I'm a big proponent of less hours at yeah. work. Um, I I was at my corporate office towards the tail end of COVID, so I got that like instantly <laughs> everybody's working at home time. Um, and that also was nice for introverts. Um, I I really found oh, yeah. it was easy and. I never, like, not that I missed my coworkers. I certainly did. I, I enjoyed some of my coworkers, <laughs> right. you know, but um, just to be able to like rise slowly and not jump into the traffic and the commute and to be able to do my laundry while I'm working, to be able mm. to make a nice lunch for myself while I'm working, um, you know, to how to be in control of the noise around me, that if I want it noisy, I can make it noisy. And if I want it quiet, I can make it quiet. So, right. um, but I, I know a lot of my very extroverted coworkers really suffered during that time. Mm. So I think there has to be some sort of balance where a workplace could be suitable for both introverts and extroverts. And I don't, I don't quite know what that formula is, but, mm-hmm. but for me, working part-time was huge, hugely beneficial to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, going back to sort of the health benefits as also an introvert man, you know, unfor- you know, it's the unfortunate things that happened during 2020, but the fortunate thing for me, at least, because um, I actually had blood work done literally right before lockdown. And then the following year, when we're all back, you know, we could go back to see the doctor, I had more blood work done and my cortisol levels, which is like the stress hormone was I think before before COVID was like 150% of what they should have been. But mm-hmm. after like that year, it was like down to very normal, very comfortable levels. And my doctor was like, look at this. And I was like, I know exactly <laughs> what yes. that is. Yes. I, and I think that especially like the corporate office environment mm. is totally geared towards extroverts. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
and and there really isn't like an an option for introverts mm. at, at the office. I know you and I have talked about this a bunch <laughs> that like one of the things we hate the most is the um forced corporate fun, the like oh, yeah. uh let's do social games yeah. instead of working. And I, I, I know that you and I both agree that we would much rather just get our work done and, and get some stuff off our to-do list is right. more feel, fulfilling than, you know, uh, playing bowling and then <laughs> making sock puppets about right. our personality or what, you know, you know, you know, the corporate events I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. Uh, I would rather, yeah, exactly. I would rather just get work done and then go home and read books. <laughs> if I could have that option, that'd be great. Um, let's see. There's something else that you mentioned. Let's see. You were talking about, oh, um, oh, the whole, like the nervous, what is it? They call it like, there's like a term people use nowadays where it's like taxing your nervous system. There's just a specific term. So it's basically like our nervous systems and I'm not even talking about like for sure introverts in this sort of corporate culture, but like everybody, your nervous system is just tapped out. <laughs> like It's yes. just tapped out um, and there's no time to re- relax it. So I, I totally agree with that. And as far as, yeah, I agree about the, the time because literally you have eight hours of work. That's like a quarter. Was it a quarter of your day? I don't know. It's a third of your day. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's devoted to, you know, something that isn't fulfilling you. But to your point, it's like, I can devote this much time, like to earn a living and contribute to a group effort or whatever the situation is. But yeah, I like this. Yeah. And we're, we're (laughs) entering that time of year when, you know, when you work eight to five, well, you wake up in the dark and you come home in the dark. Yeah. You know, in Seattle, that's for months at a time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's really hard on the soul when you don't see the sun for three months. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of want to circle back to my nervous, uh, mm. wah, 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 yeah. energy. So it's kind of a, a sidetrack. We're jumping ahead to when I was, in reflex or Reiki school when I was learning how to work with energy. One of the biggest things I learned there was we spent a lot of time getting to know our personal energy, um, like our own bubble of energy Mm -hmm. and then distinguishing that from other people's energy and then distinguishing that from the Reiki energy. Because when you're a Reiki practitioner, um, they say you become like a straw or a funnel or something that, that Reiki flows through you. Um, so you're not working with your energy when you do Reiki. You're just a vessel to work with Reiki energy. And so it's really important to be able to feel the difference between my energy and the Reiki flow of energy, as well as my client's energy, you know? Yeah. So practicing that over so many years, I think that's one of the most important things that came out of energy work for me is to know what's mine, what's someone else, and what's Reiki. Um, mm. and it, it's really helped me when I encounter people who maybe there's someone else who's nervous and really pulsing at me. Um, to be able to just recognize like, oh, that's their pulsing mm. and not my pulsing uh, has been really huge for me. And it's it's made me a lot easier for me to be in crowds of people mm-hmm. because no matter how much other energy is around me, I still know what my energy is, what my energy feels like. 
yeah and it helps me like uh, i guess you would say energetic boundaries that mm. that um that i can let other people like bump into it but it's not it doesn't have to blend into mine or like i can tell when i'm taking on someone else's energy yeah and um through my own trial and error like one of the things that i discovered that is really useful for like what to do with that pulsing wah 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 sort of energy is I've now learned that when I get into that like calm meditation, I got the Reiki flowing. Um, I use it like um, I imagine I'm like a buoy on the water and I'm flashing a, a beacon. Mm-hmm. And so I still get that kind of pulsing flash feeling. And I just let Reiki um, like roll out in waves from my beacon. Mm. And so I, I end up using that like, pulsing feeling to spread Reiki through my neighborhood, through Mm -hmm. my city. Um, You know, so sometimes when I'm meditating and I feel that like building excess energy, I just, I make my wave, my ripples in the water. And uh, that, that analogy has really helped me just letting the waves uh, go away. Mm -hmm. Spread away. It's, It's much more soothing now than that nervous, like right. almost like a lightning, you know. Yeah. That that now it's more a ripple on the water, and yeah. and by practicing that, I feel like I'm e- easier to tap into that when I am nervous. I I can mm-hmm. get more into the gentle waves of it than the uh, electric pulse that. Yeah. Flies, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. I so with that, I do have a question. Um. So that's a really beautiful image of. Versus like kind of being attacked by energy and then just kind of like, oh, I need to kind of make it all soothing. From several of my guests, they've communicated that they've uh, left a city, which you have also done and moved to sort of either out in the woods, a smaller town, that sort of thing. Have you noticed a difference since you've moved from Seattle or? I moved from Seattle to Des Moines, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's smaller. It's about a third of the size of Seattle, but I'm still very much in the city. I'm still surrounded mm-hmm. by people and traffic. And so in that respect, no, I, I don't think I've, I feel much of a difference now. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering if it, it, if that was the case or not, but I guess the city is a city and you're kind of surrounded by people. So it's just yeah. going to be the yeah. same. Right. Uh, that's great that you have learned sort of new techniques to to manage your energy and everybody else's energy. Totally, totally. Uh, so with that question, have you experimented with kind of tapping into animals or pets or plants at all in your practice? Um, well, one of the Reiki teachings is that, you know, you can use Reiki energy to heal all kinds of things in your life, um, mm. yourself, others, animals, uh, objects right um my teacher uh, always tells us to to reiki our car so that we're less likely to get into accidents yeah. <laughs> yeah so i certainly um i spent a year on the road traveling in my car um so i used reiki on my van and nothing happened you know is it coincidence i don't know but yeah. um perhaps that i i tried to experiment with um plants to see if plants that were given reiki energy would grow better or not um, turns out that I'm just terrible at keeping house plants. So um, 
inconclusive there. Yeah. Uh, and then in the last maybe two years, I've taken a secret mission to try to give Reiki to trees and see mm-hmm. what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm on a hike and I'm alone <laughs> and nobody's watching, um, then I'll give Reiki to trees and, mm-hmm. and I ask them um, how they do healing. I I don't have a conclusive answer because they don't, I mean, I don't, I don't hear voices. I don't get direct messages like that, but right. Um, but I feel like I'm on the verge of learning um, some healing information from trees. I don't know. Cool. I like that. Trees are cool. Such cool. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I love that you're doing that experiment. I've tapped in personally with some trees. Um, I guess that's one, maybe one of the benefits that people move to the country because they have more tree contact. Uh, but yeah, trees have this like very stoic, soothing energy and they're just not phased by things <laughs> yes yeah it's really I mean, interesting like some of them have been around for hundreds of years yeah. um when they lose a limb they heal it over yeah. they rebark it you know um some trees can lose their bark and still survive like cedars yeah. um and and then they they're connected to their neighbors by their root mm-hmm. system you know, the fungi, fungi system and I don't know, they, and they stand through storms and through all kinds of weather events. And I don't know. So, so I give them Reiki and then I ask, uh, how do you do healing? And mm-hmm. I just don't know how to speak tree language yet, but I feel like, <laughs> like somehow it's getting, it's getting in my body. Somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think those things are very like kind of like you're you're what you're doing is you're kind of keep exposing yourself to it, exposing yourself to it, and then finally it'll be like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so my next question is related, but it is around sort of your like kind of being more skeptical about you know the energy you're perceiving, maybe, or just kind of the woo in general Um, so can you talk about kind of being being more skeptical and then how it assists you uh, with the energy work that you're doing yeah totally so um I do feel very skeptical I um you know I don't hear the voices of angels I don't see auras I don't get um, random images in my mind. So a lot of the, um, you know, ex paranormal, extra sensory information that people talk about mm-hmm. is not my experience. Um, and so even, so I've done Reiki school. I did six years of schooling and then I've been a master for four years now. So I'm something like 10 years into experimenting with Reiki. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I'm still skeptical if it's even a thing, <laughs> yeah, right. right? And when I I feel it sometimes. When I'm receiving it, I feel it less. Mm. And but sometimes I feel it very strongly, right? And sometimes my clients report very big experiences, so I keep going. Um, but overall, sometimes I think. 
Is it just sitting and holding someone for an hour that's healing? Is it listening to someone's pain and then holding them? Is that what's healing? Or is there Reiki energy that's healing? Mm-hmm. I mean, after 10 years, I believe that there is Reiki energy that's healing. Um, but I'm still pretty skeptical and I'm still mm-hmm. um, unsure if it's placebo effect or. Right. Um, I don't know. So I keep doing it and I keep experimenting. Right. Uh, I get great results probably 75% of the time and I get 25% that is no experience whatsoever. And Mm. um, that's enough for me to keep going for me to keep experimenting with it. Yeah. And the thing about Reiki, um, you like I was saying that Reiki means universal energy. So it's the energy Mm. that's all around us and it's a particular Um, They call it a frequency, like a particular um, wavelength that is a healing wavelength. And it's only Mm. for healing. Um, You know, it can't be used for winning the lotto or um, for cursing your enemies. None of those things like this. This is only a frequency for healing. I'm sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. What was the question? I'm being skeptical. Yes. How does it assist your clients? Here we go. I'm back. <laughs> okay. So with Reiki energy, uh, it's universal energy. It's a healing frequency that's all around us. And Reiki practitioners, we learn how to channel this energy, how to pull it in from around us and give it to our clients or to mm-hmm. ourselves or whoever our target is. So they one of the teachings is that Reiki has its own intelligence, that Reiki knows how best to do healing. And so as Reiki practitioners, we have a a set of hand positions where we place our hands over other, over our client's body or over our own body. And then the Reiki flows from, you know, from around through me kind of like collected, um, strengthened, whatever, Mm-hmm. compacted and then given to my client and because I have my hands maybe on their shoulder let's say clients um, have some shoulder pain so I put my hands on their shoulder just because I put my hands there and Reiki is supposed to come through from our palm uh, chakra right so I put my hands there and if Reiki is needed there then that's where Reiki will stay but if Reiki is needed somewhere else, Reiki will flow to an, wherever it's most needed. And so coming with a skeptical mind, with a curious mind, allows me to um, be more open to witness the flow of Reiki. Um, and I always think it's kind of interesting, you know, if if I'm at the shoulder with someone who's complaining of shoulder pain, I think it's really interesting when Reiki uh, moves off. And I, where is it going? And then um, sometimes I feel it like a a breeze across my palm. That's how I know which direction it's going. So this is like one of the big concepts of Reiki is that we're, um, we're a channel for Reiki, but we're not the healer, right? Mm -hmm. We're just a facilitator for Reiki to do the healing. 
And so if we come with a curious mind and we allow Reiki to flow and do what it does, that's where the healing occurs and that it's not my job to um, direct the healing or make the mm. healing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the teaching here is that I'm not doing, I'm not expecting the outcome and I'm not judging uh, the situation, whether the Reiki is working well or working poorly or mm-hmm. whether the client is perceiving it the way they should. Right. And so um, this was probably the hardest part of my Reiki journey was getting to this non doing. And I know it sounds really easy to not do, um, but actually very, very difficult. And I would probably say two months into my journey, I was trying, I was giving it the college try to, to do Reiki and nothing was happening. I barely felt anything in my hands. I barely felt anything. My, my clients barely felt anything. And I was like, I'm here and I'm putting the Reiki right here. I'm putting the Reiki. Um, and as soon as I realized like, oh, that's wrong. Mm. That I sh- I'm, I'm not putting the Reiki. And instead I'm offering the Reiki and seeing what it does. That that alone, that realization that letting go of my desire in the situation, my desire to be the healer or to mm. call healing. Mm-hmm that that really flipped my outcome. And as soon as I let go of that, I was experiencing a lot more sensation during Reiki sessions. My clients were experiencing a lot more. Um, And my teacher has a phrase that uh, I always hear her in the back of my mind, let go, let flow. uh, That when we, when we let go of control of the situation, that that's when the energy flows much better in Reiki teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was probably my biggest my biggest lesson because because I came from such a analytical thinking um, logical um, and if you know me you probably know I'm a little controlling I'm a little type A um, I need to know how it's going to be and to turn out the way I expected it to be um, so it was a huge shift for me to to let go of a lot of that ego driven. Um, wanting a situation to be a certain way and Mm -hmm. then judging, judging it good or bad, depending on if it was that way or not. So. um, So I being skeptical helps me stay curious and let the flow happen Mm -hmm. rather than knowing I can do this. I am the doer. Right. That I, that I really think that that curious nature really helps Reiki practice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so with that was interesting uh, as you were talking about the flow, because when I, I happen to work with my clients, the thing that keeps coming up for me is that I'm just, I'm really just there to be like, open up the possibility, right? Like I'm here to say, we're going to do this energy work. <laughs> um, ultimately, my opinion is, you know, if it's in the the client's highest and greatest good that they receive a healing or they don't, it's, you know, it's whatever's going to happen is going to happen <laughs> uh, for that client. Um, and I do feel like it isn't necessarily like a thing that's coming through me. I'm just like a 
portal for me. Like, it's just like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's just kind of moving through and it's occurring. So it's interesting that you come with the perspective of how Reiki works in a similar fashion. Like it's just this energy that's there and accessible and um, yeah, uh, very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I do. Yeah. I like that really that, you know, whatever is needed for the client is, is going to be there for them. <laughs> That's ultimately their, yeah. their thing. So I like that. Um, yeah, speak- so- oh, go ahead. So during sessions, um, mm-hmm. especially when I was a student, you know, practicing my new skills, um, the, ex- I was set experiments for myself, you know, um, what would it be if I did only these hand positions and not the other hand positions, you know, Mm. what would I be if I started at the feet and worked up or started at the head and worked down. So I really spend a lot of time experimenting and um, Reiki is broken up into three levels. And in the second level, we learn um, symbols. There's four Mm -hmm. symbols that uh, work with Yasui Reiki. Um, There's other symbol systems, but I haven't studied them yet. And the intellectual part of my mind said symbols symbols are um are for people who haven't like grasped the concept they're they're Mm. cheat codes right Mm. but me but me i'm smart right i don't need your cheat code i already (laughs) understand i already get it right and so i was really reluctant to use the symbols because um Mm. i just felt like i don't need symbols you know i i I just want to direct the thing i don't need the in between um i don't know so i really struggled accepting symbols i also i i'm a little worried of of organized religion and the Mm. symbols of religion and i got Mm -hmm. really in my head about um wanting to use symbols right and so i would practice reiki and just leave the whole symbols out of my work which was getting results, which was good. And then one day I told myself, because I had to turn in 20 practice hours using the symbols. And so I told myself, well, buckle up. You got to do the thing to get the 20 hours, right? And so I started using the symbols. Guess what? Right away from the very first second I started using the symbols, my Reiki power like went through the roof. Whoa. Right? Because the very first symbol um, is for... It essentially means like bring the Reiki right here, mm. it's like a directional arrow, like bring the Reiki right here. Yeah. And it kind of amps up and like brings more Reiki to the situation. Well, what do you know? Every time I use it, <laughs> the Reiki is like flowing much more strongly, much more intensely. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll use that symbol. Right. And the next symbol is for, um, like soothing emotions and mm. helping communication. And I thought, well, that's really silly. How can I, how can Reiki do that? And, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I don't, <laughs> this is not my thing. And then I would meet clients who were in real like emotional pain, you know? And so I said, okay, well, fine. I'll experiment. I'll throw in some, uh, this second symbol into the mix. And I found over and over again for clients who were really having emotional pain, mm. I'd use this symbol 
And somewhere during the session, they would say something um, profound, like they would be almost sleeping and then suddenly wake up and say one thing about their situation that was really clarifying about maybe what the root cause of their emotional pain is, or like, what's the next step going forward from your emotional pain? Oh, that's really interesting that my clients were saying like really profound uh, revelations about their, their own situations. Mm -hmm. When I started using the second symbol. Okay, fine. Okay. Well then I'll add that one to my personal, you know? Um, And, uh, the next one is for uh, transcending time and space. And I thought, okay, well, that's a load of woo-woo nonsense. Um, but if you want, I can tell you some stories about yes. my experiences there. <laughs> and so um, I, you know, through all these experiments, what I've told, what I've learned is that experiments are really good for me. They help me know that it's real, that what I'm experiencing is genuine and sometimes I will like have control groups where I don't use the symbols mm-hmm. and see, you know, or I use the symbol in a new way uh, that I hadn't tried before and see how that outcome goes. Anyway, so although now after 10 years, I've arrived to some um, faith maybe, yeah. but, but I still use that skeptical approach of like, I'm willing to give it a try and see see how it goes mm-hmm. but yeah the symbols were a big obstacle for me because I really was reluctant to use them mm-hmm. yeah yeah well I'll just share something about because it's making me think I know we talked about uh, you drawing the sigils before which I thought was so cool uh, mm-hmm. in my own practice I do sort of magic and we do sort of similar things where we draw uh, essentially sigils in the different quarters although I use planetary sigils mainly the way, and I was very much like you. I'm like, I'm already like thinking it. It should just already be here. It's like, I already believe it or whatever. Like, why do I need to like externalize it? And so now I'm in this space of like understanding, at least for myself, that there is power in externalizing it, whether you're vocalizing, whether you're drawing a sigil in the air, whether you make sigils on paper, which I is some, a practice I love to do. There's something about making it in the reality that we're in, that is a special kind of power, in my opinion, in my experience. So it's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think at least now, you know, I'm, you know, I've heard other practitioners talk about how the earth is actually a very spiritual place. It may even be like, you know, like our heaven or whatever. It's just like a matter of perspective. And so when I think about, you know, it isn't, you know, I know we're having a lot of troubles and (laughs) strife on the earth now, but, you know, if I think of it as like, it's also, you know, with those struggles, it's very special place, like bringing the things that are from spirit into, into the material plane is like, you're acknowledging that, you know, there's a connection there. And yeah, so I, I'll, as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, part of the practice. So that's cool. Um, totally. You you mentioned time and space. <laughs> I want to know. You want to go down the woods? Yes, it's my favorite. Okay. okay. <laughs> so the third Reiki symbol helps us uh, travel time and space. And so the the idea is that. Um, moving through space is that, you know, right now I'm in Iowa and you're in Washington 
And if I wanted, I could send you uh, Reiki energy from here that the distance between us is no big deal, mm -hmm. right? And that I can send Reiki energy to anywhere on the world and conceivably anywhere in the universe, right? That uh, it, it can find its target uh, wherever you might be. And, you know, so even if my client's like under three blankets and they're wearing 10 layers of clothes, doesn't matter. Reiki can go through that distance. And um, so that's the distance Reiki. Sometimes you'll, you'll see that in, in people's uh, profiles about Reiki is they do distance healing. Okay. Now time healing. Um, I was real, real skeptical about time healing uh, because the idea is that you could uh, go forward to an event in the future mm -hmm. and put Reiki there. Like maybe somebody's um, got a, a presentation, a public speaking event next week that they're really um, nervous about. Well, if I go to that public speaking event in the future and put a bunch of Reiki healing around it, maybe use the symbol for ease of communication, that when my client actually gets there, the Reiki will be there waiting for them to help soothe the situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and likewise, you can go backwards in time. And I think the best example for this is just to tell you one of my client's stories. And I'm going to try to um, leave out the personal information because um, this client doesn't need uh, their business all over the internet. But so I've been working with this client for quite a while. And we were just working in the present moment with hands-on healing, right? And it was going well, but session after session, they would talk about their childhood. And unfortunately, they had a really um, traumatic childhood where there was um, sexual assault mm -hmm. when they were a little kid, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of trauma stays with you for a very, very long time, right? Yeah. And so, so the client would bring this up, that it was still affecting them. And in our Reiki sessions, in the present moment, doing hands-on healing, it was helping, but it wasn't like getting to the root of it. So I asked the client if they would be willing to do some time travel with me. And there was one event that the client talked about. And so I said, what if you and I go back in time and we sit with your younger self in that because the trauma happened and then they were alone. Mm. And that alone time after the trauma was really difficult. And that's what really sits with them, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, what if we go back in time, you and I adults now, what if we go back and we surround this child and just be with them after their trauma occurred, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, he's willing, he's willing to give it a shot. And so uh, they, they were with me in, in person and I did the Reiki symbol for transcending time and space we sort of went into a meditation and both of us were very um, relaxed, eyes closed. And I did the symbol for time travel. And I said, we're going to go back to, just to stand with younger self so that younger self is not alone in that time. And we did. We probably stood for maybe 20 minutes with younger self. Um, I'll time out for a second and say that my 
my impression, like, I don't see my client as a young child. Mm. I don't really see much at all. I'm still, you know, I mostly just see black when I close my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting images, but I just feel like I'm away. Like I've gone somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And in my imagining, I imagine that a child is next to me and I can kind of feel that there's a child next to me. Like if your eyes are closed, you still know that there's a person sitting next to you. Yeah. And so that's kind of my, my feeling is that I'm, I'm standing next to a child. Anyway, so we stay for about 20 minutes and then I bring us back to the room in the present day. We do a little more work. We do a little talking and then the client goes home. And of course I'm responsible. I, urge them to work with their therapist. I know that they see a, a therapist and if this brings yeah. up um, stuff that they should absolutely communicate it with their therapist. So right. I'm not trying to replace the mental health counselor. Anyway, yeah. um, they came to back to me the next session and they said that they felt much more um, peace about the situation. Like hmm. it didn't remove the trauma. Like the trauma is always going to exist. Right. They felt a little more, um, that they could start to move forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and that's mostly what I see with Reiki is that it doesn't change the situation and right. it doesn't heal the situation, but it creates a little bit of space that maybe people are able to make some changes or maybe they're there. It's time for them to shift. And that mm-hmm. was certainly the case with my client. I saw them for maybe a year afterwards and they were processing a lot more with their therapist. You could just tell how much lighter they were. Cool. You know? So did I actually time travel back to whatever year he was hurt? I don't know. Did did standing with a child who was hurt, did that help in the future? Mm. I, I don't know. All I know is that it felt really um, comforting to yeah. be able to go back to your to your client's pain and just sit with them and then to see the change in his life. Is that because he was suddenly willing to change? Is it mm-hmm. because he was working with a therapist? Is it because of Reiki? You know, I don't know. And um, I'm kind of okay not knowing that that, that was such a nice um, exp- experience and yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, that's one of my big time travel um, uh, moments. That's so uh, beautiful. Hear, yeah. Do you want to hear one more? I have another good one. Um, yes. The, the transcending time and space. <laughs> so this is a case where uh, a good friend of mine, their best friend had a, a son who was um, going deaf in one ear. And they didn't know why the child was going deaf. And uh, they were going to do surgery for the child. And so my friend says, would you do Reiki for them so that the surgery can be easier for a young child going through surgery, right? Yeah. That was the goal was just to be a soothing element so that the child could be a little more relaxed or calm, right? Um, And we were in Washington and the child was in Colorado. And so I said, well, should we actually go to Colorado? My friend said, yes. So I did the Reiki time and um, 
space travel. And um, we went to Colorado and we stood at the foot of his hospital bed and we did Reiki for about half an hour. And, and again, I don't really see, like, I don't, I, I just imagined that I was standing at the foot of this boy's bed. And again, I sort of had the feeling that there was another person near, right? And uh, so we, we did the Reiki for about half an hour, and then we went back and back to Washington, and session was done. Well, I learned later that the boy went in for surgery to see what was going on with his ear. They couldn't find anything. And he recovered quickly and regained his hearing. Okay. What was that all about? Did we actually go there? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Did Reiki have a part in healing his ear? Was his ear never broken? I, so I don't know, but that felt like a very, um, powerful session. Like I really felt a lot of Reiki energy when I was doing it. So I count that as uh, part of my interesting experiments that um, it felt powerful and there was a good outcome. Yeah. So I'm putting it in my pocket and I'm trying (laughs) to collect more information to see, um, you know, am I really traveling to Colorado when I do those kind of things? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. I like the space and time travel. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I use it quite a bit, especially for future events that we're nervous mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it gives a nice uh, soothing quality when you actually get to that event. Right. Instead of like the worry that you've built up <laughs> or right. whatever. Yeah. Expectation. Right. Um, I like that you explain and articulate around not like seeing or hearing or using, you know, there's you know, talks of the different clairs and the, you know, sort of subtle energy and maybe psychic fields and that you're more just sort of experiencing and feeling, which is also very, you know, at least I, I look at it as very valid. And very Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not discounting. I believe that yeah. other people do have those experiences mm-hmm. and this has never been my experience. Yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think it's what keeps me skeptical is like, is this really happening? Right. Um, because I'm not having the, like the dramatic visions or hearing yeah. or whatever that other people talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> at least for myself, sort of, because I tend to, well, I tend to now see more like clairvoyant things, but for me, it was maybe more realizing the pictures in my mind or more, again, that sort of subtle, right? It's not like (laughs) you're like seeing it here kind of thing. Um, But something about the feeling part is like, you're feeling it in your body. To me, it's a little bit more real, I guess, because I'm actually Mm. getting like a physical reaction to something. Mm. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that you talked about that. Yeah, I've kind of I've kind of developed my own. Um, I call it the the important thought. Mm. That sometimes when I'm in session with someone, you know, I'm just doing the Reiki work. Reiki is really dependent on like being present in this moment. Mm. And so you try not to get sidetracked. Like, what am I going to have for dinner? And right. don't forget next Wednesday is <laughs> yeah. that thing, right? Yeah. So we try to stay present. And so I try not to think too much because I'm really just noticing like which way is the Reiki flowing? Is Mm. it hot or cold in my palms? Is it breezy? You know, anyway. And so I, every now and then I'll just get a random thought, like a one word thought. 
Mm. while I'm working. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought like, oh, Christine, you like, don't get sidetracked, stay here and keep doing the Reiki, right? But then I said, well, why am I thinking just that one word? And it's usually one, maybe up to three words. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it will, will repeat. And so I said, well, maybe it's important. And so I started telling my clients, if I got a random thought, and it's my own yeah. thought, it's in my own voice, it's like a regular, it sounds like a regular thought, you know? Mm-hmm. But when it comes through in session, and it's short, and it's it feels important. Yeah. I started telling my clients. And guess what? They found meaning in it. Right. Right? And so I keep doing it because the clients find meaning in it. Mm-hmm. So is that a word that I'm channeling from some other source? You know, maybe, I don't know. Does the client just find meaning in the word because they want to find meaning? I think it's normal for humans to seek meaning in things. Mm, yes. Yeah. And so are, are they like almost like tarot cards? Sometimes you bring your own interpretation to a tarot card. You bring right. your own meaning to it. And so sometimes I think that's what's happening. I don't know. So I'm experimenting mm. with, with my important thought. Ooh. Um, right? Yeah. So I don't know if it's clear audience. It's in my own mm-hmm. voice and it it arises like a normal thought. Yeah. But when I share it, it seems to have meaning for my clients. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't quite know what to do with that yet. <laughs> right. Um, the same thing like sometimes when I'm um feeling Reiki, clients will ask me afterwards, like, what did you notice? What did you feel? Mm. Okay. Well, this is tough for me because um, working with energy, it's not, it's not an intellectual pursuit for Mm -hmm. me. Yes. Right. And so for me, it's really more of a touch. um, I call it touch intelligence. Yeah. And in reflexology, it's really about our fingertips as touch intelligence. But with Reiki, it's much more the palm of my hand. Um, sometimes my whole body will rock, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, sometimes I feel a breeze across my palm. Or um, sometimes it will feel like a waterfall or something, right? And so I started telling my clients, like, oh, over here, over your knee, it really felt like water rushing towards your feet. Okay. And then I'd start saying, like, oh, you know, when water is like almost frozen and it feels cold, but a little bit chunky. Mm -hmm. And then, so I would, the more I described it, the more my clients found meaning to it. Oh, I know exactly what that is. Or, oh, I had a dream about that last week. And so I call that also my important thought. Like there's something about the description of energy that's worth sharing with my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I always find it interesting what, what sticks with my clients or like what, what my clients make of it. Cause yeah, sometimes the words are um, pretty random, pretty out of left field, but um, if, if it brings meaning or if it brings clarity to my client, like I'm willing to keep experimenting with it. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Uh, a uh, guest I recently interviewed, Todd Wilcox, he's also an energy worker. He 
said that he will just tell them what he sees. He's not going to interpret it, right? Because he's mm-hmm. like, the interpretation is where, in his opinion, is where it kind of gets messed up. Like, if you're like, I see an ice river, that means you're having trouble with your emotion or whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're like, I see an ice river. Do with that with whatever that means to you, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of how he approaches mm-hmm. it. So it sounds very similar to what you're describing. Very much, very much. And I, mm-hmm. I think it, it it's with that curious nature that it gives me the interplay between me and my client because ultimately the client is the healer. Yes. And if the client can find their own connection with it, their own meaning with it, um, it makes their healing process more powerful. Yeah. Uh, Again, I don't really understand the process, but this has been (laughs) my experience that the more that the client can come to their own insights, the Mm -hmm. more healing that is. Yeah. 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 I think of it as like, sort of, you're the third party, you or I, or whoever is doing the energy, you're just third party who's coming into it blind, essentially. (laughs) And so the things that are sticking out are um, maybe something that the client isn't noticing for whatever the reasons are, like they're just not processing it or acknowledging it. And so being that sort of objective third party of like, I see this thing. (laughs) What is that? Uh, You know, know, what does that, does that mean something to you? Um. And the other thing you mentioned about sort of hearing or hearing the word, and it sounds like your voice, that's at least for me is how I experience clear audience. It always sounds like me, uh, but I've noticed recently, it's like a me that doesn't have all my BS attached to it. It's like very clear. Mm-hmm. It's very like confident or not even confident. There's not even like a, a feeling to it. It's just like, it's very blunt. It's like, and there's nothing associated with like, like emotions or anything. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and similarly, I, I like your important thought phrasing, cause I tend to call it spirit nagging. Like it's just basically, I keep getting either a word or an image that reappears. It won't leave me alone until I say something like it just mm-hmm. will not leave me alone. Um, but yeah, I've been calling it spirit nagging, which is <laughs> a little more negative than like important thought, which is a little more pretty. Yeah. yeah so I, I'm whenever I talk to students or Mm -hmm. like people who are on the beginning of their energy work journey, I would say like, give yourself permission that if you think that maybe that was kind of a thing, like, Mm -hmm. did I maybe feel that? I'm not sure. Yeah. I say, give yourself permission. If you, if you think maybe you felt it, just acknowledge you felt it. And if you think maybe you thought it, just give yourself permission that, yeah, you thought it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was really a, a, big part of my journey is because I was so skeptical I'd say like yeah. oh you know my my shoulder got really itchy while I was working mm-hmm. does that mean a thing you know but I thought like if I even had the thought is that a thing mm-hmm. it probably is a thing and I you know the more that I allow myself permission of like um because Reiki energy is so subtle it often is feels like a breeze right right mm-hmm Maybe it really was a breeze in the room. I don't know. But if I if I give myself permission that did I feel it? Yes, I definitely felt it. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage anybody who's like beginning this work, like just right. give yourself permission. If you even have the thought, is it real? Assume that it's real and carry on with the experiment, you know. Yeah. I yeah. like that. I really like that approach because I think that is it was in my experience uh, is kind of a hurdle, right? You're like, is that real? I don't know. And then you just kind of get lost in your thoughts about it. 
mm-hmm. um, versus like it's real move on. And then generally, at least, you know, your experience uh, with the itching shoulder or something like that. I had something where I was working with a client and my the bottoms of my feet started to feel like they were sunburned. And I was like, and it wouldn't leave me alone. Like my feet were hurting. I was like, uh, bottoms of my feet feel like they're sunburned. And she was like, oh yeah, I suffer from neuropathy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, well, um, and then after I said that, you know, I could go, okay, this is not mine. I need to let it out, let it out or whatever. Um, and this is why, this is why the interview with our client after the session is oh, so right. important Yeah, because if you had stayed quiet yeah. and you just ignored your feet, yeah, then you never would have got confirmation that that's real. And your mm. client never would have got confirmation that you were tapped in. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, the more that I talk to my clients and sometimes I experiment, I tell them what I, what I thought first, or sometimes uh-huh. I experiment and let them tell me yeah. first. And, um, it's pretty incredible how much our experiences line up Mm -hmm. um, without knowing the other person's experience. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I like that. Experimenting. Yeah. And I think the other part of it being skeptical, there's like a lot of talk, at least in sort of the psychic circles I'm in and maybe the, in the magic circles and in the energy circles, all the circles I'm in, there's a lot of talk around discernment or whatever. And so I think the first hurdle is maybe just, believing or just acknowledging okay it's real whatever and then the second hurdle is like how do I discern like that what you know discern meaning like how do I communicate it is it real like why does this message coming through so coming from a skeptical place that's already sort of like ingrained in you I think Mm -hmm. okay so we're kind of uh getting to the wrap up (laughs) but uh do you was there did you ever revisit your ESP experiences at all as an adult or? Um, no, I never, I never did. Uh, I, you know, you see on the internet, like, yes, which three of these cards oh, right. is red, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I play those all the time and I never win. Um, but no, <laughs> I, I think, I think the closest I've gotten is my important thought. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say? Now that what is your take on spiritual uh ener- spirituality or energy, you know whatever you think that is, and how does it um affect you as an individual? Do you think? Yeah. So, you know, do you want to you want to go big? Yeah. Let's go big. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I have this thing that I call the grid, mm. and I've only seen it a few times. Um. It's like a, like I've got a, a grid going out from my eyes out to the horizon and then bright light at the end of the horizon, right? And I'm pretty sure this is an album cover from the 80s. I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere. I just <laughs> right. don't know where it is. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that like that's where the idea comes from. But um, I've only seen it a few times, uh, mostly in meditation. I use the the app headspace um, for meditation and they have a wonderful um, 10 day course of like how to meditate. It's for total beginners, a 10 day course and it's free on their app. I totally, totally recommend it. I've taken the 10 day course over and over and over again, because I think it's such a wonderful refresher and it's guided meditation. And at the end of the meditation, um, he says, you know, like we're focused, we're, 
focusing on our breath. We're counting our ins and our out breaths, right? And then he says, and now release the mind and let it do what it wants. And these are the times that I've seen the grid. So I don't know what it is about being so in such a meditative state and to be really focused and then suddenly let the mind go. And this is where I've seen the grid, like this infinite, um, I don't know, it's squares, like infinite squares into a sunshine. Okay, so in Reiki practice, the master symbol um, is said to help ease um, enlightenment. It's like to create the best situations for self-understanding and for self-enlightenment, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, I meditate with the master symbol of Reiki. And every now and then that puts me into the grid. And what I've learned or what I think is happening there is that that's a place that is beyond time and space. Mm. Like it's all times, it's all space. And that there is all the Reiki masters, I think, or all the people practicing Reiki right now. Yeah. I haven't quite understood but it it seems like there's a lot, a lot of people there and a lot, a lot of acknowledge there. Hmm. I don't see them. I only see the grid. Right. But it feels like there's a lot of Reiki knowledge there. Um, so some I've been working on this meditation where I go there and I ask, you know, teach me your healing, right? Um, it's... It's strange. I don't, I'm still learning about the grid. I'm still mm -hmm. coming to know it, but I feel like it's some kind of back door that's separate from time and space where a lot of healing knowledge lives. Um, my teacher uses this uh, technique that she calls copy and paste um, because the Reiki symbols are in um, Japanese kanji. Right. And as a Westerner who doesn't know Japanese kanji, it can be kind of difficult to memorize uh, mm. the symbol. You know, one of the symbols is five kanjis long, and that's like 50 brush strokes. It's a little hard to remember, right? And so my teacher uses a thing that she calls copy-paste, where sometimes she looks at the symbol and puts her hand out, and she imagines that now it's a stamp. And she right. can just paste it as many times as she needs to, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to intellectualize drawing the symbol over and over and over again, all those brush strokes that we have this shortcut where we can just pick it up into our body and then mm -hmm. paste it around. Anyway, so I've been experimenting this when I go to the grid um, and I ask for like understanding that somehow it gets printed into my body, mm -hmm. not my mind. So I don't, I, I'm not gaining intellectual knowledge from the grid, but I think I'm gaining some sort of healing um, that I can replicate. I don't know. I'm, I'm still very uh, confused about the grid, but uh, <laughs> I I think this is my my spiritual community is the what I perceive to be all the Reiki masters, uh, past and present, yeah, and future in in the grid. Yeah, so that's one of my probably biggest woo woo. Like I'm I'm just starting to experiment in that field. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we really do with that master symbol in Reiki is self-knowledge, self-understanding. And so 
like I was saying that I really came to know what my energy feels like. Yeah. I've also come to understand like my core self, like who am I? Right. Mm -hmm. And I realized that my, my take, my philosophy, this is not Reiki teaching. This isn't just my own philosophy that I am not my circumstances. Right. Right. That there's a me that is whole and lovely and loving. Right. That's separate from, I don't know, childhood trauma. Right. Yeah. Um, that's separate from uh, what I do for a job from, right? So, you know, separate from my income or my social standing or, right? That there's a deeper me that's whole and loving and unpolluted, you know, is, right? Yeah. And so as I work with my clients and I get to know their uh, energy, I feel the same like wholeness and loving kindness. And it's my belief that all people have this, that all people are whole and enough and, um, you know, beautiful and radiant and like untarnished. And I, and I really believe this, that, that all people have that at their, at their core. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. Do you get that sense of like people's deeper self? Oh yeah, uh, for sure. And, it, you know, for me, it's harder for me to know mine, right? I can see it very easily in other people, you know? Um, so that's my struggle is like <laughs> seeing my own, which I'm getting more acquainted with, but I'm, it's, it's again, for me, it's because I'm removed and I can, when I'm working with somebody, I can always sense, you know, even all the struggles that they've gone through. It's like, no, man, you're, you're great. Just the way you're right. It's just, it's all okay. You know, it's just all these circumstances that have piled on you, you know, we just got to like, you know, we, you can clear that all off. It's not who you yeah. are. So yeah. I like the way you articulated that. It was really, yeah, we, we are not our, our circumstances. That's, no, that's been huge for me. And it's really helped me set aside some of my, like long-standing dramas, traumas, you know. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of my hang-ups I've been able to set aside because I realized that that's um, that's just my circumstance. That's mm-hmm. not me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god, it's always yeah, it's always uh, it's always a good thing to come back to and remember for sure. Yeah. Um, well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's <laughs> cool perspectives. I love it. Yeah. For a skeptical, it, it got pretty woo there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I like that it was like a grid for you. I'm like, that makes sense. It's like a grid. Yeah, it's very 80s. It's very, <laughs> yeah, very 80s. 80s. <laughs> oh, so how can you tell us about uh, sort of the services that you do and how people can contact you? Yeah. So like I said, I just moved to Des Moines, Iowa. Um, my website is Des Moines, uh, Des Moines reflexology.com. There we go. Um, yeah. So right now I'm only offering reflexology services. Um, of course I'm a Reiki practitioner. So when I'm working with clients, Reiki flows as well. Um, but I got a real hang up about, um, charging money for Reiki services and mm. how do you market Reiki services? And mm. I got, 
it just got too much for me. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to charge money for reflexology and then um, reserve my Reiki for um, self-healing or for friends and family. Mm. So um, that said, I'm in a new city and I'm looking for my Reiki practitioners. Is mm. I'm looking for a Reiki circle or sometimes they call it Reiki shares where other Reiki practitioners get together and um, practice on each other or practice um, as a group for, uh, you know, healing in the, in, in the environment or healing of, of other people. So if anyone in the Des Moines area uh, has a lead on Reiki circles, let me know. Um, and uh, if, if one doesn't exist here, I, I might create one. So if you're looking for a Reiki circle, um, let me know. Cause I am a master and I am allowed to teach. So um, yeah, I'm really looking to find my Reiki community here. Yeah. Well, I hope, yeah, I hope that is uh, fruitful because it is nice to have a community, especially around sort of subjects that, uh, isn't common, right? Commonly talked about, um, it is helpful for that. So yeah, much, much luck and energy towards <laughs> that for you and the people that yeah. are looking for community. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like you've already shared some words of wisdom, but, uh, you know, do you have an additional words of wisdom that you'd like to share? <laughs> no, I mean, for me, it's really just about um, staying curious and being willing to conduct some experiments. So, yeah, even if it seems silly, do a few control group, do a few with a silly new thing and see what the outcome is. Because, um, I don't know, I've, I've certainly had experiments that didn't work, that I let the thought go. Um I've had experiments that have worked. So curiosity is a really wonderful thing and, and staying open to possibilities. Yeah. Cool. Stay curious. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, well, thank you so much, Christy. I appreciate all the time you've given us and uh, you wanted to talk about your experience and all the wonderful perspectives and work that you do. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I feel like we could have talked for hours. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. A heart-centered thank you to the amazing Christine Freeland. For more information, do check out the show notes. A special shout out to the Reiki community in Des Moines, Iowa to get in touch with Christine. This podcast has grown beyond all my expectations, and it is due to each and every one of you taking the time to like, comment, and share with others who enjoy this content. Thank you for being an important part of the Casual Temple community. 